In today's world, listeners are complex and multidimensional, and it's a little cumbersome to toggle back and forth from channel to channel trying to get your fix. We feel your podcast should be just as diverse as you. Welcome to Fred Talks, where the topics are as layered and multifaceted as you are, with a dash of inspiration and a little bit of an edge. Hey, welcome to another episode of Fred Talks, a catalyst for crucial conversations for the culture. I'm your host, Fred B., and today I have what I hope to be an inspirational, albeit practical, episode for us. I want to share a few hacks that will uh, I'm hoping that will likely make it easier for us as we pursue the life that we have decided for ourselves, specifically as we come to the end uh, of this quarter and the end of this year at the time of uh, this recording. So we're going to get right into it. But you know how I do. First, I got to hit you with the ground rules. This probably doesn't need to be said. But of course, we're going to say it anyway. The views and opinions expressed on Fred Talks podcast are not to be misconstrued as professional advice counsel, gospel, a personal attack, law, guarantees, a substitution for hardware, a one-size-fits-all formula for every scenario, or any type of promise. It's a podcast, y'all. Come on. You know you need to consult a credentialed professional before making a hasty or significant change with your life. Don't you? Don't you? Of course you do. Now, be encouraged by the show. Be entertained by the show. Be challenged to cross-examine some of your long-held beliefs. Note, the host and his guests have strong views held loosely. Being committed to lifelong learning means that their perspectives may change in light of information. That's not contradiction. That's evolution. So please, don't come for us unless we send for you. Now that we have an understanding, let's get back to today's episode of Fred Talks. All right, so let me give you the backstory. What had happened was... Uh, This episode is inspired by the realization that this year is coming to a close, you know, Um, at the time of this recording or at the time uh, that this will be published. The year is just about over and we'll be crossing the threshold into 2020, y'all. And judging by some recent observations and uh, conversations that I've been privy to, uh, there may be just a few transgressions that are creating some some minor uh, stumbling blocks, some small foxes that are spoiling the vine. Uh, and obstructing our ability to finish strong or obstructing our ability to finish with the same momentum that we started with. And so me being solution oriented, you know, I just want to chime in and offer some help. I have a handful of hacks that should help us finish this year and finish every year strong. So that being said, I want to talk about a few things. Um, I want to talk about inspiration and motivation. I want to talk about, you know, sometimes kind of harnessing our emotions. I want to talk about the value of accountability I really want to talk about the dynamic of habits and even uh, breaking or better yet, replacing uh, habits that serve us. And then I want to finish by uh, talking about discipline to finish strong and to continue strong. So let's start with inspiration or motivation. One source of motivation, believe it or not, is simply exposure. Just being exposed to what the possibilities are, you know, um, so motivation or inspiration kind of work hand in hand. And I have to be truthful and tell you that my prevailing thought is that motivation, much like happiness, is ultimately an inside job, right? Uh, The root word for motivation is motive. So you got to think about it. What's my motive for doing something? Or you could say it another way. You got to determine, identify what's your why. And once we identify what our why is, you would think that uh, that would be sufficient to galvanize us towards action. But in real life, uh, our emotions you know, they ebb and flow, they vacillate, One, uh, they're, they're fleeting. 
you know, uh, which is also why they're not always so reliable. Right. Which is also why we can't just wait for we can't always rely on inspiration. Right. Uh, because in real life, we may need a little bit more. But one element of the word inspiration or inspire suggests to breathe into. OK, so maybe you don't have an internal inspiration. You don't get a you know, people like people talk about writer's block and they're just waiting for inspiration. Um, but here's a here's a hack. It could be that you won't just be sitting in a corner and get inspired. Maybe you got to go out and be inspired or maybe someone can come into your space and they can inspire you. They can breathe life into what's sleeping, what's dormant. It's there. It's ready to be um, activated, but it just needs exposure to the words of someone else, the picture that someone else may paint or the experience that someone else may be exposing you to. And uh, that awakens us, you know, to the possibility simply by reminding us of our motive for a particular pursuit. But even still, again, you know, the OG Jim Rohn said the best motivation is self-motivation. Uh, he says, hey, there's a guy who says, I wish someone would come by and turn me on. What if they don't show up? And that's really what I want to make sure we we keep in the back of our mind. That's not the best way because somebody may not show up. And you definitely don't want to put your success, your creativity, your endeavors at the mercy of someone else because they just may not show up. You want it to be on demand. That's that's the best way. And ultimately, by the time we get to the final hack, hopefully I've given some insight into how you can. Um, Act in spite of your mood. You can you can you can move on demand. Right. So if, as I veer off into this, just know as a footnote that external stimuli, especially the kind that puts the weight of the responsibility or the onus on someone else is not really, in my estimation, the highest or the best that is available to us. But I got to admit that exposure does play a, some measure or, or, or does. It, it is a factor in it. Right. Obviously, uh, exposure or inspiration uh, ha has a part to play in it or else the motivational speaking industry wouldn't be so lucrative. It wouldn't be so heavily saturated. There is clearly a need, a market and a demand for it. So, you know, I'm, I'm not naive enough to, to dismiss, you know, uh, empirical evidence. <laughs> right now, what I can say is that exposure can be looked at as a, as a gift. Uh, it's almost like a, a key or shovel because in a, in a way it unlocks or it unearths possibilities that were otherwise right on the other side of the door or right beneath the surface where we're, e where we're already standing or even hidden in plain view because sometimes the landscape of our of our life just becomes decoration you know everything kind of blends together because it becomes mundane a little monotonous and you stop seeing what other people can see so you kind of need fresh eyes if you will um, and those fresh eyes are loaned to you to help you see new possibilities, perhaps. Right. Um, and so sometimes people come into your space and they can paint the right picture for you and help you to crystallize what's possible for you. I mean, it's not that you doubted yourself. You just didn't know what was out there, you know. Uh, and, and then once you've seen it, it's not a question about if you can achieve it or not. Now it's just a matter of your persistence. You inevitably will as long as you don't quit. So exposure is profitable for us who observe, you know, us who are being exposed to something because it makes us aware of what's possible. Uh, what makes it even sweeter uh, are the scenarios where 
it's someone who you can relate to. They're from the same pedigree, cut from the same cloth, from the same hood, from the same tribe, from the same ethnicity. They look like you, so they kind of mirror back to you yourself, right? And then they expose you to the higher iteration or the next progression of what you're already desiring. Now, here's the tricky part. Sometimes what you're desiring is inexplicable. You don't have the vocabulary for it because you haven't been on that plane yet. You know something else is out there beyond your grasp, but you, you, you don't have the wherewithal to, to crystallize it, you know? So you can't really describe it because you haven't been there. But you know that you'll, you'll know it when you see it. You ever have a taste for something and you know, I want a combination of sweet and sour, but I don't know the dish. But when you taste it, it resonates like, yes, this hits the spot. This scratched the itch, right? Or um, there's a certain look you're going for. You're trying to go out, but you don't know how to mix it all together. And so somebody else helps you and kind of like a puzzle. They put the wardrobe together. And you're like, that's exactly the look I was looking for. But I had to see it. I had to see it put together. And you're like, ah, that's it. And so then it begins to resonate with you strongly. And it animates you and galvanizes you towards the right course of action. And so... For example, um, I wanted to create a podcast for years and I was just out as long as I was stuck in my head, I was in a stagnant spot. But then I started to listen and watch other people doing it, creating podcasts, some better than me, some maybe on the same novice level as me, uh, but they were courageous enough to get out there and try and fail. And they were consistent with their content. And so what I, I just became a student. You know, I borrowed ideas and inspiration from what they displayed that was also possible for me. So if you see someone else doing it, you know, it's natural. Naturally, it's going to beg the question, why not me? Especially those of us who have a um, optimistic baseline. You know, our default is optimism. We think that we can do anything. We just need to have the right tools or the right opportunity. Just give me the ball and I can do it. Right. So if they can do it and they're made of the same dirt and stardust that I am then of course I can do it as long as I develop the right strategy and I persist, right? So um, social media has shown us just how emotional we can be over issues of the day. You know, there's a lot of fake outrage splattering on our timelines from week to week. I mean, if you track it every week, it seems like every week, every about every seven to 10 days, there's a new distraction and uh, it just drains people of a lot of emotional energy, takes them on an emotional roller coaster. And sometimes you just got to choose to get off that roller coaster. Like, look, fam, I'm, I'm deactivating my account temporarily. I'm logging off or I'm setting up some boundaries to where I can only check it periodically because I cannot participate in this emotional roller coaster because I need this <laughs> to be allocated towards some something else that's productive. Uh, and there's a lot of fake outrage, you know, that we're, we're seeing on a weekly basis. At least I've seen it. And some of that is I need to recurate or edit, modify my timeline, you know, frankly. Uh, but we see it from week to week about things that we can actually change, but our rants play mental tricks on us, giving us the same dopamine high with the rhetoric that action would have given us. What I'm saying is we complain and that feels like that's also progress because it is some type of action is the wrong word, but it's some type of response. It's just not an actionable response, but it's some type of response. I think the same thing is true with bragging. I think bragging occurs when we tell people we boast of what we are going to do um, because it gives us that same dopamine high as if we already did it, <laughs> you know, and it, it placates our ego in a sense that is really uh, 
destructive to our momentum because now we already got the high. We already got the release. And so our enthusiasm has kind of ebbed a little bit and we need all of that. So it's best to not even say anything till you box and put some action to it or or best not to say anything till it's done. So you can harness all of that enthusiasm, all of that zeal um, to actually finish it versus to talk about it. Um, speaking of emotions, though, you, you, the GOAT, I, I don't know that there's a better uh, communicator than James Baldwin. And he made this observation in his day. He said that people can cry much easier than they can change. And that's what you see a lot on uh, social media, right? Uh, people who are notorious for their rants, they're quick to, 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 to publish a rant, but they rarely display uh, the joyful expressions. Like we hear the anger or, or their sorrow, their lamentation, but we don't, it's not too often or for not too long that we hear their expressions of joy. It doesn't stay up for any sustained period of time. They don't stay in that space. You know, they mostly display pity for themselves, for their neighbor. And I mean neighbor in the sense of their local neighbor, their global neighbor, or even biblically speaking, their neighbor. And even for the people group that they identify with, whether uh, racially or politically, you know, and I get it. I get it, man. I'm not really throwing shade. You know, um, I do get it. But I want to say that we are not so powerless that the end of our emotional ejaculatory screes should just end in circular chatter. That can't be the end of it. (laughs) You know, there's a saying that says, uh, that goes, um, he who does much talking does little else. (laughs) He who does much talking does little else. And I found this to be true by observation. And I can't even front by my personal experience, you know, from my own days of ranting. So, you know, let's unpack this a little bit further. Let's talk a little bit about anger or frustration that can be a a motivator too as well. Right. Um, in my experience, sorrow or pity is not as transformative or as efficient of, of a fuel source that will help us to really affect positive change. And, And this is what I mean by that. If I see an injustice and I only get sad about it, the end of that sorrow may only be my lamentation, maybe a few likes, right? (laughs) And you know, (laughs) I may get on social media and offer a few platitudes, uh, but if I see or experience an injustice and I get angry about it, then there's a different uh, fire that forces me towards action. If I'm really angry, that's how you can determine the difference between fake outrage and real outrage. It should force me towards action, towards providing a solution to either repair a situation or to uh, mitigate its uh, devastation or to um, and or to prevent its future recurrence. Right now, the critical piece is that anger has to be managed. Anger that's untamed. That's that's not that helpful either, um, because it can consume its target as well as its host. You know, so that's one caveat that I I need to put on the record, but at least it's enough to really inspire some uh, some real action. At least you get out out your seat. (laughs) You know what I mean? You get in the game. Now you just got to manage that thing. now. So most people, for instance, uh, they they lost weight um, after they became angry at either people who ridiculed themselves or they finally looked at themselves. Maybe they weren't fitting their clothes the way they wanted to. They got they, they they could not tolerate the conditions maybe of their travel and how certain accommodations had to be made or they got angry at uh, how often they were embarrassed or whatever the case may be. Um, 
and then they, they, they got with the program, but nothing happened when they just felt sorry for themselves or when other people just felt sorry for them. You know, likely the situation just worsened because they probably indulged and escaped to some food or something else that's not really that productive. I want to talk about accountability. You know, I look at accountability as someone, as knowing, having an awareness that someone is counting on you um, or someone who is making you account, giving an account for how you are using your resources of time, talent and treasure towards your uh, your 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 expressed goal. You know, uh, this may be a situation where you've partnered with a person and you've given them permission to routinely inquire about your whereabouts and they have permission. Again, I'm, I'm emphasizing permission because you don't want every everybody can't check you. Right. Everybody don't have the credentials. Everybody don't have your best interest in mind. And so that would be irresponsible to just, you know, even respond or acknowledge certain people. In, in your space, in your business, right? But some people you've given them the permission and they and they have the relational capital among other credentials to give you measured feedback. And I think the dopest setup for this is, uh, you know, me, I'm married. So, you know, at the time of this record, I'm married for 11 years. So I think the dopest setup um, is your spouse because you're already in a committed relationship and that relationship can weather, it can sustain some cold, hard truth about yourself. Like my wife, she tell it, she tells it like it is, but she's she got the most skin in the game. So a win for me is a win for us. So of course she has uh, the leeway to to shoot straight. You know what I mean? Uh, there, there's a there's a proverb that says faithful are the wounds of a friend. And for your spouse and your friends, if they're keeping the 100 with you, they 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 should be speaking some truth that's going to cut every now and then, even when it's spoken in love. And let me just say this parenthetically, lest somebody take what I'm saying and misconstrue it. You got to note that there's a difference between speaking in a way that cuts and speaking in a way that condemns. I'm not condoning the latter. Some truth just cuts. It's, it's not it's uncomfortable. Right. But it's intended to build up. Some truth just condemns and it it's not productive at all. It's not about condemnation because that's altogether unprofitable. OK, uh, maybe it's not your spouse. Maybe it could be a parental relationship. That might be a good option as well, because you may already be very receptive to hearing a parent's feedback, especially if they've already charted a course <clears throat> and they've already, you know, arrived at a place that you're trying to go to. Maybe they're already your role model. Right. And uh, they may be already um, attuned um, to providing effective, <clears throat> customized, tailored uh, feedback for your personality. I mean, your parents know you. Uh, pretty well, usually. Right. So sometimes your parents and your spouses see things in you and us that we tend to be blind to some things that we, you know, actually we, we wince at, we don't even want to acknowledge about ourselves, but they've been watching. Um, of course, if, if those are not viable options to you, you still not without hope. You, if you haven't found a community to hold you accountable, um, or you don't have the budget to hire a coach just yet, the free option is to make yourself accountable to a piece of paper. That's right. Writing your goals down, making the vision plain, tracking your time and your budget. There's several apps, free apps even, that will help you to determine how much time have I been using on this goal that I said was important to me. Um, journaling is important because you can, uh, it's, it's a way of marking your progress. Using a calendar, all these free tools that have been around and been proven for ages. You know, uh, so you got to schedule time to evaluate your metrics and make the uh, necessary adjustments and then just continue to course correct until you get to your destination. So either you can be accountable to a person, preferably a spouse, close, close friend, 
uh, a parent, a coach, but if you can't find any of those, then be accountable to a sheet of paper or an app on your mobile device. We interrupt this episode to express our gratitude for your listenership. Whether this is your first time listening or you're a regular listener, we want to deepen our connection. There are a few ways to do that. First, make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And of course, chances are that if you like the show, your friends will too. So be sure to post, share, and repost on all of your social media outlets. Also, don't be shy. Connect with Fred B on Twitter using the handle at FredTalks, spelled Fred, T-A-L-X. After you've completed those two steps, visit the Patreon page at patreon.com slash fredtalks. Remember, talks is spelled T-A-L-X. And check out the multitude of ways for you to support. Lastly, if you enjoy the podcast version of Fred Talks, imagine how electric a live Fred Talks session would be. Sure, recordings are great, but... When it comes to value, there are some intangibles that require you to be in a live setting to get full impact. The goal is to begin online via the podcast and ultimately take the sessions offline to do the real work of providing solution-oriented motivational sessions to impact current and emerging leaders of all ages. To get more information about hosting a live Fred Talk session for your staff, students, members, send an inquiry to fredtalks.com to get the conversation started. That's all for now. Let's get you back to the show. So let's talk about the power of habit. You know, if we're going to have a meaningful conversation about potential hacks to propel us towards our destiny, then we absolutely have to discuss and take inventory of our habits. Frederick Matthias, or Matthias, excuse me, uh, Alexander said, people don't decide their futures. They decide their habits and their habits decide their futures. I'm going to say that again. People don't decide their futures. They decide their habits and their habits decide their futures, right? So what we do day in and day out ultimately becomes a measure of who we are, right? And when we really break it down to a granular level, yeah, I, I think it's just an incontrovertible truth. I don't think you could really dis- dispute this. So um, you know something has become a habit when you don't have to apply conscious thought to execute it, right? Uh, in fact, you would have to apply conscious thought not to execute it or not to behave according to that pattern because it's become such a part of a muscle memory. You know, it's embedded in your subconscious mind. So just by breaking that word down, subconscious, you know, sub, under, conscious, it's clear to see that this dynamic is operating on a lower level than your conscious or your aware, your focused state of being. You could be sleepwalking through this because most muscle memory uh, is, in, is in the driver's seat. You know, for instance, you know, every morning I hit the gym, I get out the bed around 430 before I take the kids to school. It's the way to help me. It's my self-care to make sure that I'm not spazzing on everybody in the house. Like, it's like, let Fred get Fred together. Right. Well, um, you know, a few months ago during their summer camp, uh, uh, their school facility or the place where the summer camp was held had a similar route as the gym. And I, I would catch myself a couple of times just on autopilot driving halfway to the gym before I snapped out of sleepwalking. Uh, if you will. And then I became conscious of where I was actually going. All my kids would say, dad, you know, and, and kind of snap me out of it. Um, so my conscious mind had to supersede my subconscious habit of driving to the gym for me to make that course correction and get to the de- to the designated 
place. And I know that sounds odd. Maybe that's not the perfect analogy, but I think, you know, you might have your own examples. So, you know, don't judge me, y'all. <laughs> and plus, you know, I've been driving that route to that place in the morning for a significant amount of time now. You know, um, they tell us that uh, research says that it must have been at least 21 days uh, to, to develop a habit. So I have been doing that at least for 21 days, uh, probably even more. And, you know, some people say that it takes 66 days to develop a habit. And I've even heard 265 days. So 100 days shy of a year. Um to create a habit. And, you know, I've been going to the gym routinely like that, probably for at least 265 days. So it took a while. Um, and you know what, if you're trying to create a habit, just know it's going to take a while. So don't give up because that's a surefire way to not develop the habit that you're trying to create. That's going to serve you. So if you're struggling to create or to destroy a particular habit, there's a few tweaks that just might do the trick. Let me give you some free game. It's better to replace a habit than to just try to stop a habit cold turkey. And I think I think that's that's worth the podcast right there. If you don't hear anything else, it's better to replace a habit than to just try to stop a habit and just leave a void there. You know, if you tend to my if I tend to my essence, then I automatically deny my ego. Either I'm going to operate from a place of ego, I'm going to operate from a place of essence, but I can't operate from both places at the same time. Right. So I have to make a cho choice. Um, if you're doing something productive, then I am automatically avoiding doing something destructive. See, I, I'm not just not doing anything. I'm not just being inactive because that would leave a void. You know, so what I'm trying to say is we have to simultaneously bind something as well as lose something at the same time. You know, if I'm at home, I, I'm, I know I'm drawing this out, but if I'm at home at, at the right place, then I am automatically not at the wrong place. You follow what I'm saying? If I'm eating the right thing, then I am automatically not eating the wrong thing. I, I, I think you get it. And so it's helpful to when we understand, hey, I can't hold I can't hold two opposing thoughts at the same time. And if I know that I can cooperate with the way that we're wired and I can hack it to make it serve me in realizing my goals. Um, and, you know, I guess as I'm talking about, you know, habits and, and, and these hacks, there's actually a book that I read called the habit hack. I read it about a year ago and it talked about triggers. And I think that's also the missing piece. So one piece of free game is don't try to just end it, replace it. You know, um, even when it comes to the monkey brain, I remember there was a time when I was going to counseling. I hadn't been in a while, but um, we were just talking about trying to tame your thoughts and it's not trying to just not think, replace the thought. Or I have these like meditation balls that I had in my hand. And so you redirect your thoughts. Um, like if something's causing anxiety, for instance, focus on your breathing. Now, now you've changed your focus. You can either focus on the thing that was worrying you or you focus on your breathing or you can focus on the meditation balls and things like that. So the thing is to replace. So that's one piece of free game. But the other piece is I think a lot of times we're not aware of the role that triggers play in creating habits. You know, a lot of people are unable to break habits because they think it's just a physical thing when it's really a psychological thing. And what I mean by that is before you initiate the habit, there's often a familiarity that you've created. Like there's a place, there's a, there's a happening. A lot of times we pick up our phone in moments of idleness because that's what we've conditioned ourselves to do at the stoplight or when we're watching TV and there's a commercial or when such and such happens, you know, um, 
If you stress eat, perhaps you found comfort in escaping with or to food before, and so you've done it so often that it becomes now a habit. It becomes rote, and uh, you would have to be conscious enough and strong enough to interrupt what happens by way by virtue of muscle memory. You can apply this 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 idea, you know, really to any undesirable habit. Let me just go wild out there and talk about you know porn, for instance. <clears throat> now, of course, viewing porn is the habit that nobody has, right? Um, yet the numbers don't lie when the statistics boast of how profitable the industry is, but that's neither here nor there. Let's talk about it and see how the rule, same rule applies. People never overcome the habit of watching porn, even when and if they want to, and they can see how destructive it is. And by the way, that's a, that's a way to determine an addiction. You can see the destruction and you still aren't able to bring yourself to stop. That That's from porn to social media addiction, whatever. Um, but anyway, they want to stop but they have not identified the trigger first. So they need to identify what starts the series of events, what causes them to be moved out of a certain state, out of maybe a neutral state or a total opposite state, then aroused or tempted, and then ultimately captivated, well, and then inevitably bound to that habit until they learn to supersede that habit, right? There's a series of events. So we got to determine what happens first. Is it is it maybe there was a sense of rejection in the marriage or otherwise, and then their 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 refuge uh, to get a fix is porn. Porn lures them into some type of pseudo safety because now they don't have to deal with a real life person, but they still get some type of dopamine high. Is it the rejection and porn offers reliability because, you know, that the interwebs are always going to be there and it's always immediately accessible. Is it arousal induced by viewing Instagram? Because maybe that's the trigger. Maybe I shouldn't be on these other sites that will uh, populate soft porn. And then, boom, it's a domino effect that is hard for me to break the momentum of. You know, is it boredom? You know, maybe sometimes we just need to be productive. We need to be about our business and doing that keeps us from doing all this other BS. Right. Or is it pressure from some uh, some deadline, some task that we're facing? I mean, not you, but people, you know, of course. Right. And then we just need a relief. We need break, uh, a, a, a release and, and pun intended. You know what I'm saying? And so you run to this outlet just to take your mind off of something and then, you know, try to resume to your normal activities. You know, so I'm using I'm, I'm, and by the way, I, I need to say this. I'm not trying to refer to porn to establish some some type of uh, sense of morality as to whether it's wrong or right from a moral perspective. I'm only using it because the numbers show that it's such a common habit that people secretly want to break. And so you could insert smoking, social media indulgence or any other habit. I'm just using this because it's clearly something that nine out of ten of my listeners you all going to identify with. Right. Um, but the point is we have to identify what triggers us before we actually get into the bad spot, right? Uh, ancient wisdom, uh, an ancient writer by the name of James, I, I believe he's credited with, with, with explaining it this way. First, there's being led away. And he says, we're being led away by some type of inward latent desire. You know, that's the trigger. You know, it's kind of like window shopping. You wouldn't have the habit of always shopping if you stayed home. But something you're at home and you get this bright idea now that lures you away from home. Now you find yourself <laughs> at the mall or on Amazon at this point now. Right. Um, so then you're in motion. The desire has gained leverage and momentum. You're away from home now. You you out of that neutral space. You, you know, you're you're no longer in a unstimulated state. 
And in this state, now that you're there, you're susceptible to the temptation. Everything has a lure. Everything is looking attractive, right? If you would have stayed home, if you would have stayed off of Amazon, maybe you would have had a fighting chance, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I should also say temptation doesn't always have an, uh, it has a negative connotation, but this isn't about morality. Okay. Uh, this is just about breaking and developing and understanding habits. So now you, 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 you've left your neutral state. <laughs> you got some momentum. Now you've been triggered. And having been tempted, it's at that place. Now that you're at the mall, the salesperson is talking to you. You know, you can't blame the salesperson. You can't blame the devil. <laughs> you left your neutral state. You left whatever you, whatever other thing you could have been doing. And now they're just doing their part. And it's hard. It's overwhelming now that you're there. So the transaction or the act occurs. And if it happens often enough, uh, it becomes habit forming. Right. Now that might sound like bad news. I get it. But the good news is that if we understand the trigger principle, then we can use it to serve us to also create good habits. It, it, it works in, it works in reverse. So we can find triggers and we can associate it with a new type of behavior and then ultimately override these bad behavior uh, or habit patterns or bad. I, I'm not trying to create morality. I'm just trying to say unproductive or undesirable. Habit, habit pattern. So the process goes like this, the trigger, the temptation, the transaction, then the habit, then the habit influences our course to some degree, because again, people don't choose their destination, they choose their habits. And so if we don't stop the trigger, don't stop the temptation, don't stop the transaction, don't stop the habit, then we're on a road to a certain path that we may or may not want. All right, I saved the best for last. Let's talk about discipline. Now, I would explain discipline as being a disciple and I know that may have religious connotation or conjure up religious images, but it doesn't have to being a disciple or simply a student of a field. But watch this, not just of a certain field or industry, but really, I think it begins with being a student of yourself so that you can become so that I can become a master of myself and of yourself. So when self mastery is achieved, discipline looks like being able to act in spite of my mood, in spite of external uh uh, stimuli or circumstances. I do it because I have determined that I would do it. Right. And I know what it takes to get me to pull through. So discipline is where we become fixated on the promise or the results so much that it eclipses the pain, you know, borrowing again from ancient language. Um, it's what we do when we endure pain, shame and hardship, or better yet, we, we begin to recycle the pain, shame and hardship, and we use it. We leverage it because of the joy that is set before us, because of the fulfillment that's on the other side of the metaphorical, metaphorical cross, right? And, you know, we all have some form of a cross. We all have some type of obstacle that's in the path uh, between us and our, uh, our intended end. So usually people don't reach their, des their destiny because they just have not decided on what the OG Napoleon Hill coined as our definite cheap aim. And because they have not decided upon one, they obviously cannot esteem what they have not selected. And as a result of having no vision, having no reason choice, in the words of the Stoics, uh, for their ultimate end, they cast off restraint. They cast off discipline. There's no reason to discipline themselves, to establish boundaries. Everything's fair game, you know. Um, and, and what happens is they're subject to um, the whimsical things of the day, like fleeting emotions, the happenings of the day, Facebook, uh, commentary, uh, forecast, all, all these trivial matters, <laughs> you know, they become fair weather pursuers, unfortunately, instead of discipline, discipline, uh, pursuers, 
you know, um, fighter, uh, fighter pilot David Burke said, discipline is what drives you to do the work you don't enjoy, but is required. Discipline conquers fear. Discipline keeps you going when your curiosity, motivation, and excitement evaporate. Again, uh, to refer back to the OG Jim Rohn, he says, it takes consistent self-discipline to master the art of setting goals, time management, leadership, parenting, and relationships. If we don't make consistent self-discipline part of our daily lives, the results we seek will be sporadic and elusive. And I couldn't agree more. He goes on to say, it takes a consistent effort to truly manage our valuable time. Without it, we'll be consistently frustrated. Our time will be eaten up by others who make de whose demands are stronger than ours. The OG went on to say, it takes discipline to conquer the nagging voices in our minds, the fear of failure, the fear of success, the fear of poverty, the fear of a broken heart. It takes discipline to keep trying when that nagging voice within us brings up the possibility of failure. I love that he doesn't um, pretend that we won't have uh, opposing internal chatter sometimes that needs to be overcome. He goes on to say it takes discipline to admit our errors and recognize our limitations. The voice of our human ego speaks to all of us. Additionally, that voice tells us to magnify our value or accomplishments beyond our actual results. Y'all know it's a whole lot of overselling on Facebook, right? Uh, it leads us to exaggerate, you know, to not be totally honest. It takes discipline and I would add integrity to be totally honest, both with ourselves and with others. He says it takes discipline to change a habit and to plan. Lastly, that, that being disciplined is one of the best ways to remain productive. This is because it increases self-confidence, patience, and teaches us how to overcome failure. Most importantly, self-discipline ensures that we're not driven by impulse. All right, so I'm about to wrap it up. In closing, how could you redeem the time and finish this year or this quarter or even this day out stronger than you started if you implemented any or all of these hacks that we just talked about? Now, wait, don't answer that. That's just going to be rhetorical because you can't answer that right now. You can only imagine it. You can only think about what, what the possibilities are. Uh, but, you know, why don't you actually test yourself and see what can you actually do? Don't even talk about it. Remember, harness that strength. Go for delayed gratification. Your ego can wait until you get the finished result and let that be your fulfillment. You don't need the applause of people before you even produced anything, right? Suspend your ego and, you know, practice delayed gratification. I'm talking to myself too, because it's not that we're lazy. It's not that we're lazy. You know, my kids, you know, will occasionally, they'll give up on a new task. They're seven and, uh, and six at that time of this, uh, this recording. And so they'll resign quickly saying, daddy, I can't do it as if that's going to absolve them for the responsibility <laughs> of doing it or the responsibility of learning how or persisting. And so my response to them is that y'all should never conclude that you can't because that ends the conversation that, that, that eliminates all possibilities. You know, never say that you can't do hard stuff. You can do hard stuff. You just have to persist or you need to identify a different strategy or both. And um, I'm saying that to myself. I'm saying that to all of you guys who took a, uh, a few moments out of your day to listen. Look, we can do it. We can finish strong. We just got to persist. And we just maybe have to figure out a different strategy to do the thing that we've been wanting to do. So that's a wrap, y'all. Here's to wishing you a, a strong finish for this year, this semester, this quarter, or even this day. 
As always, I appreciate you tuning in one more again with your guy. While you're here, just a reminder to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Fred Talks is available on every podcast platform. And hey, run me those stars, fam. If you appreciate the show, say so. Log on to Apple iTunes and drop me a line about what you enjoy about the podcast. Leave that five-star review so the podcast becomes easier to find for others who are looking for something just like this. You probably don't think it's much support because it doesn't cost you much, but it absolutely means a lot to me that you would take a moment to do that for me. So thank you in advance. Hey, y'all have a great week. Tune in next week for another dope episode.